The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Gospel of the Lord. Good, well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Rise and shine, 7.30 a.m. little tiny word of introduction for you here this morning. Lest you gaze up here and wonder, who is this guy? I'm your new pastor. I'm just kidding. I am Father Hudgens. I'm the pastor of St. Teresa Church in Ashburn. And long, long ago, when I was a newly ordained priest, my very first pastor was Father Saunders, who asked me if I would come to St. Agnes, which, by the way, is my home parish, celebrated my very first Mass right here at this altar. Not this same altar, because it's new, but same place. If I would come to St. Agnes and help guide you, through your 40 hours celebration, which is going to begin today. 40 hours starting after the 11 a.m. Mass, all day, all night. We're going to have the Blessed Sacrament exposed right here on this altar. And every evening at 7, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday evening at 7, I'm going to give you a little thought or two to help get your Lent off to the best possible start. Now, I could give you one thought to help frame the Lenten season. That thought would be this. Lent is a lot less about what you do and a lot more about what God wants to do in you. Now, tell me if this doesn't ring true. Good people out there that are trying to live their faith in a crazy and dilapidated age Approach Lent as though it's their own personal project. You know, when they come to Lent and they say, this Lent, I'm going to lose five pounds. I'm going to lose ten pounds. I'm going to give up coffee. I'm going to give up chocolate. In a demeanor not too different from a New Year's resolution. And they brace themselves, steal their jaw, clench their fists, endure until Easter, stumbling most of the way arriving spiritually unfulfilled, wondering what went wrong, and promising themselves that next year they're going to do better. Yeah, well, next year's here. Right? We're going to make this the best Lent yet. And if I could start you off with just one thought, it would be that Lent is a lot less about what you do and a lot more about what God wants to do in you. Now, don't misunderstand. Doesn't mean you don't have your part to play. God needs your cooperation to do his work in your soul. And listen to these words that we just heard here in the gospel. Some of the most important words ever spoken because what you're hearing in this gospel is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Now, think about that for a moment. The long-awaited Messiah, 
promised by the prophets, foretold by St. John the Baptist, finally arrives and begins his public ministry. And you cannot overemphasize the importance of the very first words that he ever speaks. What does he tell us? First commandment out of his mouth, repent. Repent and believe. Now, you'd be amazed how many people don't understand the meaning of the word repentance. You'll you'll hear this. People will say, Father, I'd love to repent, but I don't ever do anything wrong. Don't chuckle. People say that all the time because they fail to recognize. Repentance means turning your heart back to the Lord and away from the many, many distractions They're keeping you from the one thing for which you were born. The purpose for which you were baptized. To know, love, and serve the Lord. And if there's one spiritual cornerstone that that, that you can live with, not only this Lent, but always, it's the understanding that when Christ's presence is remembered, there is grace. And when his presence is forgotten, there are the sins. Give you a little image that might help frame this for you. Try to imagine this. Imagine, if you will, a busy city street. Could be New York, could be Chicago, lots of hustle, lots of bustle. Walking down the sidewalk is a priest. He's carrying the Blessed Sacrament. It's in the fold of his coat, but Nobody's paying him a nickel's worth of attention because driving right down the middle of the street is a man in a bright red Ferrari, top-down music playing, engine revving. He's clearly thinking to himself, what kind of a great guy am I to be driving a car like this? And everybody all around is paying him attention. Pickle green with envy, except for the poor guy across the street. He just walked out of an ice cream shop. And he bought for himself a double ice cream sundae with extra sprinkles, and he can't wait to dig in. And up the street, there's a man lodged behind a utility truck, stopped in traffic, and he's furious, laying on his horn, screaming obscenities, making a scene, which is just fine for the other guy walking down the sidewalk. Shifty-eyed and suspicious, slipping through the crowds, He's a pickpocket. He's a thief. He's looking for his next victim. Which just might be the guy who's spending an extra long time glaring at the magazines and the magazine racks splayed out over the display counter with lovely young ladies who aren't wearing anything like nearly enough clothing and sitting down at his feet as a panhandler who could very well get a job but doesn't feel like it because he makes such decent money begging you got that picture, that scene in your mind? Good. Because I call that scene Hartsville. Because the only thing I just did was illustrate for you the seven capital sins. Gluttony, lust, greed, sloth, envy, anger, and pride. That street is in every human heart. And walking down that street, utterly unnoticed, 
It's the presence of Christ the Lord. Like I said, when His presence is recalled, there is the grace. When His presence is forgotten, there are the sins. And you know the thing about the seven capital sins? By the way, you've heard them called seven cardinal sins. You've heard them called seven deadly sins. They're really best called seven capital sins. And here's why. Capital from the Latin word caput, meaning head. The idea being, not that these sins are the worst sins you could possibly commit, but rather, any sin that you could possibly commit reduces to one of these seven. They're, they're almost like elements. Every sin is one of those seven. So let's take a quick look at each one of those seven. And think about the things we might need to repent of. Once upon a time, I tried to become a monk. I tried to join the Carthusian order. I, I like to say I tried to become a monk, but I flunked. Okay, so here I am. But one thing they taught me was that the seven capital sins are hierarchically ordered. Some are easier to work on than others. Some are harder. And the easiest sin of all to work on is gluttony. Now, what's gluttony? Gluttony is the misuse of food. People say, what the heck? Come on, now, how can that be a sin? Well, if you understand that a sin is a misuse of a good thing, in a way that's not in accordance with God's will. That food is a good thing, but when we forget its purpose, when it becomes an end in itself, when we have no self-control, what happens? You turn your heart from God. And would you believe that the next easiest sin to uproot of the seven capital sins is lust? Considering all the airtime this sin gets, you'd think it's one of the most difficult. It's actually one of the most under your direct control. What is lust? It's a misuse of human sexuality. You know, people up and down the coast think that the Catholic Church teaches that sex is evil. And I really hope you understand very clearly that we teach the diametric opposite of that. We don't teach that sex is evil. We teach, rather, that sex is sacred. It is the highest natural power given to human beings by which a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman, in a complete act of absolute, total, mutual giving, which is only possible in the wedded covenant of matrimony and open to new life, bring into existence something which did not exist before and will exist forever, the power by which God has lent to husbands and wives to continue his own act of creation, highest natural power given to man, which is probably why the evil spirit perverts it so much. Because you know the evil spirit hates God's beautiful creation and twists this great power from the self-giving love that it was meant to be to the self-serving, consuming, and utilization of another person that it becomes. Now, understand, in this sin, our Lord is astonishingly merciful. But, take warning. Because sins against chastity cause scars in the soul which are not easily healed. Next sin is greed. What's greed? 
keeping for yourself that which was meant to be given to somebody else. Now, we're all equal in human dignity, don't get me wrong. But you have to be blind to think that we're all absolutely interchangeable like pieces of loose leaf paper. Some people have more talents and abilities and stuff. It's okay. In God's plan, those who have more have a sacred task to share what they have with those who have less. And those who have less have a sacred responsibility to respond in gratitude. Greed is when we keep for ourselves what God is intended to give to somebody else. Now, of all the seven sins, Jesus is pretty strict on this one. He says, you cannot love both God and money, which is something he never says about anything else. He never says you cannot love both God and country. He never says you cannot love both God and family. Why does he say this about money? Why? It's because money competes for the same place in the human heart that God wants to have. Place of trust. The place of security. Money has its place. Don't get me wrong. It's not evil. It's just that place is never the heart. Now the next sin is sloth, which is not what you think it is. Most people think that sloth is laziness. It's way deeper than that. You know what Thomas Aquinas says about sloth? He says, it's a sorrow in your soul by which you don't even try to carry out your duties. You're so weary of your own weakness and failures that when it comes time to carry out your duties and responsibilities to your employer, to your family, to yourself and your own health, to God and the proper worship that he's due, you don't even bother trying. Saddest sin of all sloth is. I don't know, except maybe for envy. You've got to figure of all the seven capital sins, envy is the only one that nobody even enjoys. You know what envy is? It's sadness at the good fortune of another person. American author Gore Vidal, he once said, when I see my neighbor prosper, something inside of me dies. That's envy. And in its extreme form, Envy tries to destroy the good in somebody else that it cannot have for itself. Now, it's not the same thing as jealousy. Do you know that? Here's the difference. Jealousy is thing-centered. Envy is person-centered. So John in the office wins a trip to Hawaii and jealousy says, Jagnabbit, why can't any good things ever happen to me? Why can't I win a trip? Envy says, I hate John. Treats him with coldness and contempt. And it leads to the next sin, which is anger. Most complicated of all the seven capital sins. Because of them all, it's the only capital sin that's not always a sin. You want to know what anger is? It's the irascible appetite that results when your pursuit of something good is impeded. You want an image for anger? Think about it as a Jersey barricade on the highway to justice. Now... If the good that you're seeking is very, very good indeed, anger, it's it's not only is it not a sin, it's an act of justice. I mean, you're deficient if you don't get angry when something sacred is destroyed or when innocent life is threatened. Sometimes anger is the perfect response and our best example of that is Christ himself. Remember the story of the money changers in the temple? 
My favorite iteration of that story comes from the Gospel of John. Not only does he drive out the money changers from the temple at the crack of a whip, but he first weaves the the bull whip with his own hands. I mean, you talk about deliberate, but that's not our problem. That's not our anger. Don't we get angry over trifles? Trifles. You know, a little nothing in traffic that might cost you a minute or two extra or somebody who doesn't respect your place or say thank you or recognize your importance. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen. Be careful with anger. St. Catherine of Siena, she once said something chilling about anger. She said, anger is the one experience on earth that brings us closest to the experience of hell. And the most diabolical and dastardly sin of all, the one that's most difficult to uproot, is pride. Now, pride is not what you think it is either. Pride is not a warm feeling of loyalty to your country or to your school. Pride is not even a reasonable sense of satisfaction at a job well done. You know what pride is? Pride is me-first-ism. Pride is my desire to vaunt myself over you in anything. I'm going to tell a funnier joke. I'm going to have a better smile. I'm going to drive a nicer car. I'm going to live in a better neighborhood. I'm going to go to a better school. I'm going to have a better family. I'm going to be a better butcher, baker, candlestick maker. It's not the fact that what I have is good that matters. It's the fact that I'm better than you. And that's why we all hate pride when we see it in other people. But you know what the essence of pride is? The desire to vaunt yourself not just over others, but over God himself. This is where it becomes utterly diabolical. Where you say, I don't care what Jesus Christ said, and I don't care what the church teaches. I will decide what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil. And you know what all those seven capital sins have in common? They all begin with the forgetfulness of Christ. Where Christ is remembered, there is the grace. Where Christ is forgotten, there are the sins. That's why it's so important that you begin your Lent with a remembrance of Christ. What a great way to do it, to begin with 40 hours. St. Augustine once said, When I was a young man, I feared many things. I feared losing my girlfriend. I feared losing my money. I feared losing my health. I feared losing my reputation. But now that I'm old, the only thing I fear is Jesus Christ passing by. Lift up your hearts to the God who is in your midst. Amen.